How many of you have ever seen the movie, the musical, Fiddler on the Roof? Can I just say, it's actually one of my favorites. Uh, the, the music in The Fiddler on the Roof is just, uh, I want to sing every time uh, Tivya sings that song. And I think you probably know what it is. Uh, Fiddler on the Roof came out about, uh, what, in the 70s or so? And uh, it, 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 it's this story of Tivya, and he starts out singing, tradition, tradition. Remember? He sings it a little bit better than me. Just a little bit. But he's just got this rich, baritone voice. He's the narrator of the entire movie. He's the main character. Tevye is the father of five daughters, all who need to get married soon, and he's feeling the financial pressure of making that happen. He's an impoverished milkman. So he doesn't have a lot of money. He's a part of the Jewish community. He's the husband of headstrong Goldie. He's faced with this constant struggle with the traditions of his people, especially as it relates to the, the traditions of marriage, who he has to talk to, how much he has to pay, who gets married first, who should she marry, on and on and on. And the whole Jewish community is built upon all of these long-standing traditions that he has to live by, and he's just always anxious about it. And Tivya introduces the very first song in the very first few minutes, it's a very long scene. And before he starts singing, he says this. He says in his accent that I can't do, we have traditions for many, many things. We have traditions for how to eat, how to sleep, how to work, and how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and we wear a prayer shawl. This shows our devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I will tell you. I don't know. <laughs> but it's a tradition, he says. And then he starts singing this amazing song. None of us would say that traditions are wrong. But I can also tell you that we've all seen how traditions have sometimes gotten in the way of, of the tr real truth. Thomas Dixon, who was just an amazing preacher of the last century, once said, tradition was the most constant, the most persistent, the most dogged, the most utterly devilish opposition the master encountered. It openly attacked him on every hand and silently repulsed his teaching." That's what we see in this passage that we're going to read in, in Mark chapter 7. And Jesus helps the disciples distinguish between tradition, culture, expectation, and where sin comes in to this whole mess. In honor of reading God's word, would you please stand? I wish I could sing this song like Tevya sings tradition. Or sing this passage, but yea, verily, I won't. 
hear the word of the Lord. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God. Then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'll be reading other passages or other portions in a little bit, but... So we're looking at the book of Mark, so let's, let's not forget who our author is. Uh, it was likely the very first of the four Gospels that was written. It was in between 50 to 60 AD that he wrote it. Mark was not one of the 12 uh, original disciples, but he spent a lot of time with Peter, so he probably is writing after listening, to, uh, after listening to Peter tell the story over and over. So it's often uh, recognized that it's probably from Peter's uh, perspective. Because this passage deals with th uh, this word defilement uh, multiple times, we're going to kind of break the sermon into those uh, sections. So as we, as we do a scan of the entire uh, passage, we see what doesn't defile, what no longer defiles, and what does defile. And throughout the whole thing, we see what provides purity of the heart. And because there's so much in this passage, I'm going to have to break it into two sermons. So it's not going to be an hour and a half sermon today. And everybody said, you didn't have to say that so loud. <laughs> Next week, I'll deal with the second half. So what... What doesn't defile? We see this in sections 1 through 13. We, we really don't have a setting. Uh, chapter 6 ends with Jesus in Gennesaret, a town right next uh, to Capernaum, which is on the, the northeast uh, north uh, corner of uh, the lake, the Sea of Galilee. 
this is kind of the area where Jesus spent about 80% of his time. In fact, if you'll look at the Sea of Galilee, and if you'll go from 9 o'clock, if it was a clock, if you go from 9 o'clock to about 1 o'clock, he spent 80% of his ministry just in that area of Israel. The rest of the time, the other 20% was mostly in Jerusalem and way down south around the, uh, the Dead Sea. So in this Jewish region, the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem had heard what this teacher was saying. And they began to go north, northeast to where Jesus was because they wanted to witness. They wanted to hear from them for themselves and they probably wanted to hear from their own ears so they could do something about it. Jesus was teaching some crazy things in their opinion. These Pharisees and scribes, they were the religious elite. In fact, the name Pharisee means the holy one or the separate one, the one that is set aside for holy use. It really describes their goal in life and and how they appeared to others. They were off to themselves. They wore beautiful clothing. They, 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 they weren't like the normal man. There was no one more religious. There was no one that was more zealous of the faith. They were highly respected for their knowledge. Their knowledge of the, the Old Testament was unsurpassed. In fact, it was almost as if they had a PhD in Old Testament law. They had memorized most of the Old Testament. And unfortunately, a lot of what they memorized was other people's reflection on the Old Testament laws. They had a rule for every facet of life a whole set of complex and detailed oral traditions. In fact, they had created another 613 rules detailing how you were to eat, how you were to sleep, what clothes you were to wear, what you could touch, what made you clean, what made you unclean. And these 613 rules were outside of everything that they found in the, the law and the prophets. Mark calls these in 7.5, the traditions of the elders. The Pharisees often based sin and purity on the tradition of elders. This word, this, the Greek word for tradition means something passed down or given over. So it, it highlights this idea that they've received it from the generation before and it's now their responsibility to pass it on to the to the next generation. We've received one thing from one generation and now we give it to the next. And in our text, we bump into a, at least a couple of these traditions. The first is this tradition of washing. Now, this really had nothing to do with hygiene. It was, it was nothing about physical dirt that they were talking about. It was all about a ceremonial cleansing. It was, about, it was a religious tradition. It wasn't about a biblical right or wrong. And I can see the Pharisees singing that chorus that Tivia sings, tradition, tradition. That's what they were all about. 
the Pharisees and the scribes, they see the disciples eating without washing. <gasps> How awful. And they question Jesus about it. Mark explains their tradition, washing, their traditions, they had rules about washing utensils and vessels and bowls and hands. It's still that way today in, in Israel. While we were there last year, every bathroom in, in Jerusalem especially has, a, has a, like a large cup with two handles on it. I've heard of two-fisted drinking of coffee. That's almost what it reminded me of. But what that was for was that you would take the right, you take your right hand and grab this side of the handle, and you'd fill it with water, and you would, you would rinse your hand this way, and then you'd grab it with this hand, and then you would rinse it this way. And if you were to go down to the Wailing Wall, there was a place where the men were on one side and the women were on the other side and they washed their hands and they washed their feet and it was just this, this ceremonial cleansing. And Mark begins to explain to us, the reader, about all of these extra ceremonial washings in verse 4. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. And you can just hear Mark's Exasperation. The Old Testament didn't command a certain type of washing whenever you come away from the marketplace. But the Pharisees were adding to everything that they knew to be the Old Testament law. Cleaning cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. It has nothing to do with rules and laws that were set aside in the Old Testament. It was the tradition of the elders, it said in verse 5. And here's what's interesting about these traditions. The Pharisees required more than what God's word requires. Jesus responds by quoting from the prophet Isaiah when they approach him. He replied, Isaiah was right when, the prophets, when, they, when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. It's pretty stout for him to say, you hypocrites, when he quotes Isaiah 29, 13. Hypocrite is actually a Greek word. It means actor or pretender. The Pharisees were playing the part dressed in their fancy costume, saying right words, but it wasn't real. It was just an act. They were acting holy. And they weren't fooling any of the audience. They were fooling themselves. They were self-deceived. And then Jesus points out how traditions can contradict God's word. They had this tradition that was called Corban. Now, the, the uh, Corban itself was not wrong. It, it, was, it was expressing how they would dedicate certain money or a room in their house or a building. It would be Corban. So it would be 
dedicated to God. There's nothing wrong with dedicating certain things to God. But they took that really good practice and began to twist it. In fact, if, if they wanted that savings account for themselves that, so that they would then say, well, that savings account is Corbin. And then if, because they knew that their parents needed help, they would say, well, I, I don't have any money because that savings account is for God and I can't help you. So they would consider certain buildings or certain uh, uh, money or a room in their house to be Corbin and it would look holy. It would look great for all the communities to say, well, that money or that house is set aside for God, but they did it on purpose so they wouldn't have to be kind to their parents. They didn't have to take care of their children. They didn't have to take care of the poor because that was set aside as Corbin. And, and Jesus knew that. And he called him out on the carpet for it. And this was entirely a tradition that was handed down, this washing of, of hands and, and Corbin. Well, then he moves into what no longer defiles, Mark does. In verses 14, and, 14 through 19, he says, Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand me, uh, understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach. And then out of the body, in saying this, Jesus declared all food clean. The second part of this passage, 14 through 23, is really focused on what does defile us. The scene has shifted previously. He was addressing the Pharisees, and now he's addressing the people. What actually does defile us? He's, he begins to make two really important points here. We just talked about their tradition of washing could defile us. The second tradition was that something we could eat could defile us. That was another tradition of theirs. Something that we physically ingest, that makes them unclean. That's what the Pharisees were saying. Now, I think there is an interesting cultural and contextual point that's really interesting here. And it really helps to understand this passage a little bit better. In today's Western culture, we say that the center of our being is our heart, right? That's just kind of, I mean, when we want to express love, what do we do? We send heart candy or we say, my heart yearns for you, right? If, uh, if we're at a wedding, we hear poems or, or they share things back and forth and they might say, I give you my heart. And if we want to express emotions, we say, I, I feel in my heart, and my heart is broken, right? And there's songs that says, I left my heart 
in San Francisco, right? But not so in the culture of the Old Testament. The Hebrew culture, the center of a person's being was his bowels. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? If that was our understanding today, we would have to express our love by saying, my bowels yearn for you. A bit awkward. Kind of hard to think of Valentine's cards with that in mind. At a wedding, you'd have to say, I give you my bowels. To express your emotions, you would say, I feel in my bowels that I must. Can you imagine the song, I left my bowels. In San, right? I mean, it's really awkward. But it helps us to understand this passage just a little bit. Men, don't write a poem to your wife this afternoon. Forget it. Just keep with hearts, okay? It's a bit awkward, but in the Hebrew culture, the center of a person's being was his bowels, what he ate and what he didn't eat. And these were just... It was the center of a person's being. That's often why the Pharisees spoke of eating something and how it was, it could be, they could be made unclean because of something that they ate. And Jesus says, listen, no food can defile you. No, because no food enters your heart. It goes into your stomach, not into your heart. And Jesus says, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Your heart is what is where uncleanness, uncleanliness lies. Food doesn't go into the heart. The food itself can't defile you. So it's, you know, for Westerners, this might not be a big deal for us, but can you imagine the Jewish audience that heard this? It was radical for them to hear Jesus say this. Whole sections of Leviticus are dedicated to what a Jew could eat or shouldn't eat, what foods were clean and what foods were unclean. There's just if I were to group all of this together, there would be several things that we would see in Leviticus. Number one, there are certain animals that you could eat, and there are certain animals that you couldn't eat for, good, for very good reason. Rules were made related to whether an animal had a split hoof or whether it was a complete hoof, whether the animal had scales and swam in the sea, whether it had feathers or not. There were certain rules for each one of these animals. Of the animals that they could eat, the birds and mammals must be killed in accordance to very strict Jewish laws. It had to be done a very specific way. All the blood had to be drained from the meat or cooked out of it before eaten. You could not cook an animal in its own blood. Certain parts of an animal were permitted to be eaten. There are other parts that they were not to eat. Meat, the flesh of, uh, of birds or, or, or mammals, couldn't be eaten with dairy products. If you go to a restaurant in, 
in Jerusalem today, there, you might be able to get cheese at the restaurant and you might be able to get beef, but never from the same kitchen. In fact, if you go to McDonald's, you have to go to this counter to get an ice cream cone and there's a separate kitchen. And then you go over here to get your hamburger because they can't have a kosher kitchen if dairy and meat are cooked in the same place. Utensils that have come into contact with meat could not be used with dairy. You can't use the same pots or you can't use the same spoons in both. Utensils have to, uh, they, if they come into contact with non-kosher or non-clean food, they have to be cleansed. And grape products made by non-Jews couldn't be used by a, a, a Jew that wanted to remain clean. So in this statement, Jesus is saying, listen, there's no food that is unclean. Food does not defile, Jesus says. And, and just so we don't miss the bombshell, uh, Mark ends this passage in verse 19. He says, thus he declared all foods clean. Jesus in his death and in his burial and resurrection brought a change to the disciples and all of us as we read the Old Testament. Some laws are now obsolete for the Christian now that Jesus came and died and resurrected. Hebrews 8.13 says, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. One category is the category described here, all the laws that have to do with being clean or unclean. Why? Well, because Jesus has permanently and, per, and, and perfected the cleansing of us. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And two verses later, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us all from unrighteousness. If we're already clean because of the sacrifice of Jesus, any law about being clean no longer binds us. Now there's, a, there's several things that I want to apply here as, as I finish. I, I want to just encourage us uh, Number one, recognize that this is a much larger passage that I'm going to be dealing with how this really applies to us next week. But could I just encourage you, read through the Old Testament with the lens of the New Testament. Make sure that you understand the New Testament as you're reading the Old Testament. We do not throw away the Old Testament. It's the foundation of our faith. There's truth there that the New Testament is also based on. But read it with the lens of the New Testament. And if you are a young Bible reader, if you haven't gotten serious about reading God's Word, could I just encourage you to read the New Testament through several times first before you jump into Lamentations, before you jump into some of the minor prophets, I would just encourage you read through the New Testament several times because it's only when you understand the New Testament 
that you can understand what God was saying in the Old Testament. And the last is this. I've talked to you about the, this timeline that God is looking at. We only see just a little part of it. God is seeing this whole thing. Can I just remind us that as we're in the Old Testament, the Old Testament was, was always helping people look towards Jesus. Then the Messiah was coming. And then when we get into the first part of the New Testament, it's the, the Bible is talking about Jesus. It's all about his story. And then once we get past the Gospels into the epistles, it's always talking about what Jesus did and what Jesus said. The importance, the central part of the whole story of the Bible is always about the Messiah. Would you please stand? Next week, we're going to get into some of the practice of what, what does this all mean? Why was this so important to Jesus to really help those Pharisees and later the people that were listening and the disciples to know why understanding tradition was so important? Pastor Alan Carr told of a time when he was in the parking lot with a, uh, a friend that he worked with. His friend drove an old beat-up firebird the car always had serious engine problems, and it smoked like a chimney, and so did his friend. His friend was always trying the new gadgets to try to get the car to stop smoking and to try to help him to stop smoking as well. As he got in his car and turned it on, and it started belching smoke as it had the habit of doing, the man reached in his glove box for that box of nicotine patches that he would often put on his own arm. And he pulled one out, unwrapped it, and stuck it on the hood of the car. And he said, well, they are supposed to stop smoking, aren't they? Let's see if it works. It's a bit funny, but often it hits close to home. Sometimes we put traditions and rules and made-up things in the place of what originates in the heart. Can I just remind us that the, the, the whole point of this passage is that the problem with mankind is a problem of the heart. The problem with this sin nature that we were born with comes from our heart. The prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's the heart that the Lord looks upon. First Samuel says the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. And the last is the heart. That's the part of man that needs to be changed. Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart. Speaking, God is saying, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And Jesus is saying to the disciples and to the Pharisees, it's not traditions. It's not rules. It's not doing something. It's a matter of the heart. Father, we just want you to know 
that we recognize it's easy for us to get all tangled up in traditions and expectations and following rules, doing the things that we've been, that's been passed down. But Lord, would you give us a hunger for your word to find the truth, to seek out an understanding of your word? Lord, would you do something in our own hearts that we might that we might recognize that you desire a pure heart. Would you come in and begin a work of cleansing? Help us to see the difference between the things that we just think we're supposed to do and how you want us to, by faith, trust you for a cleansing work. And so, Father, this morning we, we give you ourselves, we give you our hearts, Everything about us, we desire you to purify. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. you receive this benediction comes to us from Paul from Romans remember Paul used to be a Pharisee but he finally realized it came his purity came from Jesus not from rules he says this in Romans 12 therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies 
as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So now, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in peace, for he's already gone before you. You're dismissed.